This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Last week, we um, covered a lot of information, especially on Sunday night. And uh, <clears throat> it was late, you know, and I asked if there were any questions. <laughs> and and uh, <laughs> everybody had gotten everything just perfectly. I mean, there was no... There, there was no uh, so I had a few myself, but you know, since it was late, but we, we didn't get to do that. But at any rate, so I want I want to give you the opportunity tonight, in case there was something that that you were thinking about and you were saying, you know what? If I ask this, we're going to be here another fifteen minutes. <laughs> or if I make this comment, we're going to be here another fifteen minutes. Um, so I want to give you that opportunity tonight. Um, but let's let's go to the Lord in in prayer, and uh, and then then we'll we'll see if there's anything burning on someone's heart here. Father, we love You and we're thankful again to You, Lord, for giving us opportunity today to come together and worship together, sing, read the Scripture, hear the Scripture proclaimed. Lord, uh, we're thankful and privileged, Lord, to be able to uh, share Your truth with others just as we talked about this morning, having this stewardship upon us to, to handle your, your truth and to carry this message. Lord, we, uh, we want to honor you in all that we do here. And Father, again, we come asking for your guidance, asking that you grant uh, understanding as we look at these truths. And Lord, um, I pray for your enablement here. And Lord, I, I pray that you enable all of us to hear, to understand, to perceive what You are making known, what You are speaking to Your servants. Lord, use it all to bring us into closer fellowship with You, we pray, to increase our love for You, to increase our love for one another. And Lord, so that we ourselves may decrease for your honor and glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Now, I know a whole week's gone by, and, and there may have been something then that perhaps you've forgotten about. But if, if not, anybody have any question about anything we, or comment about anything that we talked about in Matthew 24 last week? Yes, sir. Okay. possibility that somebody thinks they are and are not? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I think that's what you see uh, in, the, uh, in the Pharisees. Um, that's, that's why I made a point of saying before, if, if I had to use modern categories, uh, and you know, you, you, this is me, so I mean, you may, you may think I'm off here, but, but if I had to use modern categories, I would put the Pharisees in the category of the theological conservatives, what, what a lot of people call the Bible thumpers today. That's us. But in other words, all I'm saying is they were serious about their religion. They claimed, they claimed to believe God's Word. They claimed to be true worshipers of God. Uh, so I, I guess at the heart of your question is, is it possible that they actually believe that or were they just scammers? And I think the answer is both. There, there were probably those who, who, uh, who didn't believe it, but just liked the attention. And there were probably those who were convinced in their own mind that, um, that they knew the truth when they didn't know the truth. 
Yes, ma'am. And, and let me say this, this, this is one reason it, it is so important, because there is a way, there is a way to, to, to know, and, it, and it's not just a subjective, um, I know that I know that I know that I know. It, it is an objective truth, the Word of God. In other words, if, if, if we, I mean, see, we can do that with somebody else more easily, I guess, but if, so let's take the Pharisees again. If we look at the Pharisees, we can see where they weren't lining up with God's Word. So, so when, we, when we see Jesus in John 8 say to them, you're of your father the devil. Well, you know, here we are on the outside looking and we, we, we see Jesus say that and we, we, we see what we have recorded about them and um, how they... They did things for the praise of men and rather than the praise of God and so forth. So we have all that information and we're on the outside looking at them and we say, yeah, I can see that. In other words, they thought they were very religious but they, and they knew the Word of God, you know, intellectually, um, had it memorized, but as Jesus said, but they didn't know. They didn't know it in truth. In other words, they didn't understand it. They didn't perceive it correctly. So while they had a they had a uh, uh, an intellectual knowledge, which is necessary, by the way, um, with them it seems that's as far as it went, and and they weren't they didn't have correct understanding. Let me say it that way. Uh, they they knew the word of God, but they didn't correctly understand it. So we can look at them and say, okay, yeah, they Jesus Jesus says they're lost essentially. You're of your father the devil, and we can see that because even though they claim to be God worshippers. What they were doing was not lining up with God's plan and purpose and God's redemption, uh, you know, God's redemption plan. Well, what I'm suggesting is, by the grace of God, we can do that with ourselves also. Because, and I think it's essential that we do, because yes, you can be deceived. Here's the thing, if we just go totally on, on a subjective, uh, on a subjective witness, that is, I, you know, and you hear people say this all the time, I know that 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 I'm saved. And, and if we just go totally on that, I think the, the problem is what we're relying on there is our own heart. And the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? Now that suggests to me, along with other passages, that, that I can be deceived and be absolutely sincere about it, about, you know, about what I'm believing, and yet be deceived. In other words, as we say, sincerely wrong, right? So, so I need the truth of God's Word to shed light on my experience. And I can say, I know that I know that I know that I'm safe. That may well be true. But the question is, uh, does what I believe, does what I embrace, does my, my life and conduct and so forth line up with God's Word? This is the objective standard. Now, if our subjective um, witness lines up with the objective, there's never a contradiction between the Spirit and the Word. Now, some people say things like, well, the Holy Spirit told me that I was saved, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and maybe their, their confession, maybe they don't even believe that, that Christ is Lord or something like that. I don't know. I haven't run across that, but I'm just suggesting it. Um, Alright, then what they're claiming to be the witness of the Spirit is not lining up with the witness of the Spirit here. So there's something wrong there. And it's sort of like John saying that we can say we walk in the light, but if you don't love your brothers, meaning other Christians, John says you're still in darkness. You know, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. So, our subjective experience, our witness, the inner witness, has to line up with the objective truth of God's Word. That's what's lacking in the case with the Pharisees.
and the scribes. What's lacking in Matthew 7? Their testimony was, Jesus, we did all these things. They went to Him, Lord, 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 let us in. Because we did all these things in Your name. Cast out demons in Your name. Prophesied in Your name. Did many wonderful things in Your name. But Jesus' response to them was that they were workers of lawlessness. And what He was saying is, you're not doing the Father's will at all. The same, again, same thing He was saying to the Jews in John 8. If God were your Father, you'd love Me. If Abraham were your father, you'd have the faith of Abraham. Their, their, their confession and their practice wasn't lining up. And their, and their, their practice you know, wasn't lining Their understanding and their practice wasn't lining up with God's Word either. So, yeah, absolutely. Can, can somebody think that they're saved and be lost? Sure. That's, that's, that's a real danger. Um, and, I, and I would say the other is true, too. Somebody can be saved and, and, and not have absolute assurance about it. So, uh, yeah. We need, to, we need to go to God's Word. Any, anybody else? Or did that help before I move on? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, someone, someone can be uh, a person. Here, here are a, a, a four options. All right, a person can be lost and know they're lost. They can be lost and think they're saved. They can be saved and know they're saved, or they can be saved and not know they're saved. And of course, I would say the. the the most dangerous one there is, is the being lost and being convinced you're saved. A person who's lost and knows he's lost, you, you, you know, um, a lot of times that's God bringing them to the point to where there's an open door for the gospel. They know they're lost and they're received some, sometimes. But a person who's lost and knows he's saved, that is in his own, in his own mind, in his own heart, he knows he's saved, that, that's a horrible predicament to be in. But yeah, so you got those, those four options. You, you, you can be lost and know you're lost. You can be lost and, quote, know that you're saved. That is, you're convinced you're, that you're saved. You can be saved and know that you're saved. You can be saved and not know that you're saved. And all I mean by that is not have full assurance. I don't mean that, you know, you, you didn't know anything about the experience. I don't mean that. I just mean you, that, you don't, that you don't have full assurance. That's a possibility. If a, uh, you know, you, you encounter you encounter that a lot. Sometimes, sometimes um, people who seem to have an assurance of salvation, but you 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 don't talk. You, you can talk to them. A lot of times, it doesn't take very long, and you realize they're not really basing it on anything solid. You know, to the Word of God. So, you know, when you when you'd be talking with somebody like that, I mean, it's not that you're going to stick your finger in their face and say, look, you, you think you're saved and you're not, you're lost. You might not be that blunt, but, you know, you, you just give them the truth. Give them the truth. Give them the truth. And on the other hand, you, you may encounter people who, um, as far as you can tell, all the evidence is there. You know, this person is saved. But they're not, they're troubled, you know, they're not absolutely convinced that they're saved. Um, then I think we can, we can offer them some, um, obviously limited, but some assurance. In other words, we, we, can, we can deal with them a little differently and say, say look, brother or sister, um, I, I, can't, uh, I can't see your heart and I can't, I can't be your assurance. I can't tell you, yes, you're saved, but I'm telling you this. As far as I can tell, I see God's hand in your life, and it just seems to me the evidence is there, and you can we can we can help help them through that. But yeah, that's that's definitely a uh, I would say that's definitely a possibility. Somebody can be lost, be saved rather, and not 
have full assurance. In fact, I think that's common. <clears throat> common. Anybody else? Yes, sir. <laughs> Thank you very much. Any other questions? <laughs> <laughs> um, are you referring to the rapture, like mid-trib rapture or pre-trib rapture? Um, in, in all honesty, um, I, I, I don't find evidence for the rapture in that sense in the Scripture, period. Um, so I would definitely be... If, if, if You know, Paul says... <coughs> That when the Lord comes, um, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Those who are alive and remain shall be caught up. So, if that's what we mean by rapture, then, then it's going to happen at the second coming. And that's definitely, I would say, post-tribulation. After the tribulation. But usually what people mean by the rapture, when they use the term rapture, what is commonly meant by that is a, a secret Catching away of the church prior to or in the middle of the tribulation, as you uh, as you pointed out. Now, assuming <laughs> that's kind of uh, <clears throat> reference back to last week, but assuming there is going going to be a literal seven year tribulation, and I'm not totally convinced of that. I, I touched on that last week. Um, I, I will say this: whether there is or isn't. Um, I think we're in the tribulation now. I'm convinced of that. When I look at the Scripture, we're in the tribulation now. Now, there may be a period at the end of the church age where it gets worse, even worse, worldwide, like is the way a lot of people view it. That, that may be correct. I'm, I'm not going to argue against that. But assuming that, is the, assuming that is so, assuming there's going to be a literal, uh, how can I say it, intensified period at the end of the church age, which most people think uh, uh, from the Scripture to be seven years, assuming that is the case, um, then I would say that all the evidence that I see in the Scripture is that the church is going to be in it and go through it. I, I, I say that because I, I think we're looking for... When we talk about the second coming, I think we're looking for one event. To me, like all of these passages we've looked at here in, uh, in chapter 24 and so far in chapter 25... And in Revelation and Thessalonians and Corinthians, all of these passages concerning Jesus' return, I think we're talking about one event: His second coming. Not not a uh, I think there's one second coming. I don't think it's going to be something not part A, part B, or or. You know, some people say the rapture, then the second coming. But isn't that a, a, the rapture a coming That's when he comes? Yeah, and I, and I just don't see evidence in the scripture for a secret rapture, catching away the church. I don't see evidence for the church being taken out of that is in, in the sense of being spared, taken out of tribulation. Because um, again, I think we're in it now. It'd, it'd be hard to convince Christians in uh, Sudan or China, or Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran. It'd be hard to convince those Christians that they don't have to go through the tribulation. Um, so, I, so I don't see evidence for that, and I don't see evidence for more than one second coming. When Jesus returns, that's it. And, and this is what he's talking about in chapter 24, chapter, uh, much of chapter 24, some of chapter 24. And in chapter 25, some of chapter 24, he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem, um, which already happened, 70 A.D. Some of it seems to me to be references to his second coming. That is yet to come, but it's one event. And then we're going to see more of that talk in chapter 25. So I don't see evidence for a secret rapture at all. How can it be a secret rapture if it says that every Yeah, well... Um, Remember last week, uh, what verse was that where he said it's going to be like lightning? It's in chapter 24. 
27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. I mean, uh, the, the way that he describes it, and then the way that he describes it in chapter 25, the latter part of chapter 25, everybody's going to know. Everybody's going to know. So, yeah, I just don't, I don't, the way that the rapture is commonly taught, I don't see evidence for it in the Scripture at all. I'm willing to, I mean, I've looked at some stuff, but that doesn't mean I, I didn't miss it. But, you know, I mean, I've read, you know, MacArthur on it, because I, I, uh, I, re, I respect John MacArthur. He's, he's a great teacher. I don't agree with him on that point, but I highly recommend his material. Um, so, you know, I've, I've looked at guys like him and the case they make for it, but... Uh, it, it just doesn't, to me, it just doesn't add up. Let me get Ron first. He had his hand up there. If we can handle it? Oh, yeah. And it's strange, isn't it? Even even when people try to, you know, supposedly Nostradamus predicted the end of the world in 2012. So there's been talk about that, and and uh, I haven't seen this movie, but the movie 2012. Somebody, a coworker, was telling me about it. The end of the world, right? But then then there are survivors, or at least according to my friend, there are survivors. Well, how are there survivors at the end? The end is the end, right? But evidently not in the mind of most people, huh? Right, but that's what I'm saying. But they're still calling, or at least my understanding was, they were calling it the end. Uh, but, but really what they were viewing it as is just a catastrophic event. Um, and, and some people do think of it that way. And another guy was telling me about another show uh, that he saw on television the other night where they were doing the same thing. People were, <clears throat> it was a reality thing, and they're showing supposedly real people that are building bomb shelters and that kind of thing so that they can survive the end. Yeah, I... You know, but they don't have a, a concept of the end. <laughs> no, I mean the end is the end. Go ahead. Uh, let me get Heath for. for yes, sir. Be ready. Well, that is going to happen. Yeah. Now, after that happens, there's going to be this traumatic event take place. And everyone is going to just be in this turmoil. And mm-hmm. they have to deal with what they have to deal with. And that sets the stage for the Antichrist to come in and establish a little three-year peace or whatever he does. Mm-hmm. So I, what's a reference point that says that the tribulation is now Well, I, that's like kind of like dealing with an argument from silence. Though so I, I can't, it's hard to refute. I, I can show you, like like I did last week, where where we're. Um, I think Jesus is talking about the tribulation being the present. Uh, John sixteen thirty three is one example, but I can't refute passages that teach the the rapture when I can't find them. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just being honest. I can't. I, I don't. I can't give you a reference that teaches the secret rapture, and then say, "Here's why I think it's misunderstood," because I don't. I don't find the the reference to begin with. Um, it. I, I, I'm. I just. To me, I, I just have a simple view when I when I see the talk about Jesus returning. 
I understand it as a single event. It never looks like, to me, as far as I can tell, it never looks like it's split up like that. Um, in Matthew 24, just back to the, to the tribulation for a minute here, um, he says to the disciples, let me see how far back I need to go here. You'll hear wars and rumors of wars, verse 6. Nations shall rise against nation, verse 7. Famines, pestilence, earthquakes. By the way, he's predicting you know, all of these things. Um, then they will deliver you up. Okay, verse 9. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Now, now my question is, is there really a difference in that because what commonly happens, they'll take a passage like that and say, well, he just means by that, like persecution against the church. But then when you, when you go back to Daniel or you look at other passages that talk about, you know, there Jacob's trouble or here the great tribulation, he's referring to a specific seven-year period. Which, again, may be the case. I'm not going to argue against that one. Um, I, I'm just saying I don't find evidence that the church is going to be out of here before that takes place. Everything he says here in Matthew 24 would suggest to me that tribulation is going to be the norm, and maybe so, maybe it is going to increase at the end. That's why I kept talking about the birth pains uh, metaphor last week. And so then when you get down to verse 21, Matthew 24:21, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been, since the beginning of the world until this time, no, nor ever shall be. Some people take that to mean that uh, to ref- to be a reference to an end time event. Um, it doesn't seem to me that it is. It seems to me that he's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem here. However, again, if if it is, all I'm saying is again, I, I don't see any evidence that the church is going to be taken out of here before it before it happens. Um, in fact, in Revelation, it talks about the the church as being those who are delivered, who are they come out of great tribulation, not meaning that they avoided it, but that you know when, when they went to glory, it was out of great tribulation. In other words, they were in the midst of it and taken out of it. Um, and Jesus says in John sixteen thirty three, in the world you have tribulation. Paul says in Acts, it's through much tribulation that we shall enter the kingdom of God. That's, that's the norm for the Christian. When I read the Bible, that's what I see as the norm for the Christian in this world. I think that's exactly what Jesus meant in John 16.33. What we are living in America is abnormal. And I, I, I think, and uh, it, it seems to me that's why it's hard for us to grasp that, because, because we're in an abnormal situation. Many Christians around the world know what it means to be in tribulation. And and we just don't here. It's a recent doctrine. It is. About a hundred years old, roughly. Yeah. Yeah, again again the, the big thing to me is lack of scriptural support for it. If 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 I saw in the scripture that it said we're gonna we're not gonna be part of that. Then, then I'm fine with that. As a matter of fact, if I turn out to be wrong and I'm snatched out of here, I'll be fine with that. <laughs> I'll be fine with that. I, I had one guy. We, we, I was having this discussion with a guy one time who's very much a dispensationalist, which you know most churches. That's what most churches teach. And he finally, 
we were good friends. So, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like... But, but he finally got you know, a little frustrated or whatever. And he said, well, look, brother, <clears throat> when, when the rapture happens, he said, I'm out of here. You can stay here and tribulate if you want to. And I, <laughs> and I said, I, I said no, listen, brother, if, if it happens, if I'm wrong and you're right, I'm out of here too. So, it ain't, it ain't, you know, right? I'm not going to stay here and tribulate. <laughs> and I'd be happy to be wrong on that point. But, but again, the, the big thing to me is just, I, I just don't see the support for it in the Scripture. And then I think of other, I, I, I don't mean to allegorize the Old Testament, but, but you do. You know, you see things we can learn from the Old Testament similar, just like God choosing the nation of Israel. It's a picture of Him choosing the church, that kind of thing. So, think about their experience in, in Egypt, and I think I mentioned this last week, but I remember uh, R.F. Gates saying years ago, you know, that what God was doing there was bringing judgment on Egypt and at the same time preparing the children of Israel to leave. And that, to me, makes more sense. If there is going to be, and even if there's not, I mean, you know, we're, we tri- we're in tribulation now. And, and even if it intensifies toward the end, that'll be God's judgment on the world, which, by the way, is already happening. That's Romans, Romans 1. Paul says it's God's wrath is being revealed now. Now. So it's already happening. It's not a question of it coming. You know, when is it going to happen? It's already happening. It's, it's just going to be greater, all right, at, at, a, at the end. So what is God doing? He's judging the world and preparing us to leave. Brothers and sisters, I, I, I think I think if He didn't do it that way, we should fall too much in love with this world. And I, 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 think, that's, I, I think that's a big part of the role that tribulation plays in the life of a Christian. And I, I see people suffer with things like cancer. Or you read about atrocities committed to children. And I, I've, I've had an easy life and I have some good times, but when I hear those things and witness those things, it's harder for me to love this place. The, the tribulation is, is now. Even if it is going to get worse, it's already it's already happening now. Even if there's a literal seven-year period coming, we're still not exempt from it now. And I don't think we're going to be exempt from it then. God's bringing judgment on the world and He's preparing His people to get out of here. The yoke of bondage is going to be finally <laughs> and fully broken when the Lord comes. Freed from sin. I don't know. I hope that helps. But I just don't see... That's all I'm simply saying. Is I just don't see the support part in Scripture. And I probably haven't heard all the arguments. But I am like you in that that's all I had heard all my life. That was all I was ever taught. And that's what I believed. Wesley? Twenty-four forty. Um, then two men will be in the field. One will be taken, and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Okay. If I, I think Jesus' main point. I was looking at something earlier today that gave me a little bit of a correction on this. Uh, that I want to uh, that I want to point out. I do think, and this is what I read earlier today. I, I, I do think Jesus' main point here is just that it's going to be unexpected. It's going to be unexpected. Totally, uh, nobody knows the day or the hour. However, okay. That being said, um, if there's a reference here to Some being taken and some left either 
either uh, with the idea of the rapture, you know, the church is taken out of here, so uh, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, that is, this is the way a lot of people understand it, be taken in the rapture. By the way, um, right, that's, that's what I was about to say. Um, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. If you look at the, the verses immediately preceding that, where he, he, he uh, likens it to the time of Noah, the ones that were taken were the unbelievers, not the believers. Verse 38, For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day of Noah entered the ark. Uh, and did not know, verse 39, did not know until the flood came and took them all away. He's talking about the unbelievers. And then Jesus says, So also will it be, so also will, will the coming of the Son of Man be. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding in, at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. So, yeah, if that's what it's talking about, I would, I would argue that the one taken is the unbeliever taken in judgment. And by the way, um, I, John MacArthur happens to agree on that point. He, he does not use this particular passage, uh, even though he believes in, in, in the secret rapture. He does not use this particular passage to, to back that teaching up. Um, he says the same thing. I've looked at his commentary on that. He says the same thing that I do, which is if, if, if that's what it's saying, then the one that is taken is the unbeliever. And the one that is left is the believer. Because it's talking about being taken away in judgment. Um, just like they were taken away in the day of Noah before the flood. Now, I know that doesn't make nearly as good of a book series, you know, when you talk about <laughs> left behind, you know. But um, that seems to, seems to make sense to me. But I think, again, I think Jesus' main point all the way through, through there and what we talked about this morning is that it, it's just, it, He's saying don't be caught off guard. Be ready. Be ready. Don't let that day overtake you as a thief. Don't be caught off guard. Anybody else? All right. No more comments or questions? Okay. Well, I hope that's helpful. Um, and I agree with what he said. By the way, to me, to me, these are when we, like when we talk about the rapture, um, or, or you know, or even pre-trib, uh, even when we talk in terms of the the, the second coming, um, it's I've, I've got a position on it pretty much, but it's not. With in my mind, it's this is not a major point. Uh, it's important. These things are important. They're important to study, um, but 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 I'm 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 not totally settled on some of these things. I tell people all the time. Hey, people ask me, you know, are you a, are you an amillennialist or premillennialist or postmillennialist? Um, my response is usually I'm 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 probably an amillennialist or maybe a historic premillennialist. <laughs> what what I'm saying what I'm saying is that both of those views make sense to me. I, I, the scriptural arguments are, are, are sound, I think, but uh, but I'm, I can say with you know pretty strong conviction, I'm not a dis, I'm not a dispensationalist. I, I don't see the secret rapture thing. But go ahead. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, I got what you're saying. And there is some ideas of different things or less of what they say. But there is another opportunity after that. Yeah. During the tribulation. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the way they handle that, uh, for example, when I was uh, uh, when I was in junior high school, I went to a uh, private school, uh, missionary Baptist school, and I remember, you know, because the way that they would handle that is is try to scare the wits out of you by saying. You know, accept Christ now because if you wait until the tribulation period, uh, it's going to be horrible. And then they describe all kinds of things. You know, you could be tortured and this and that. And then ultimately, you got to be beheaded. And so they they would they would heavily rely on that to try to avoid what you were just saying. Because because you're right. Because you know, it, so they're trying to avoid saying, look, if if you don't accept him now, you'll get a second chance. Um, so they would just you know. Try to make it really, really scary for you, um, but I, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I, I see a problem with that too. It doesn't. Um... Yeah. Well, because if you if well, yeah, that's a good point. But if you take that view, they they do understand. Uh, they 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 say that there will be some saved during the tribulation. So. Um, but again, I don't I don't hold that view, so You're talking about Thessalonians? He he who hinders yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, let's look at it. Um Yeah, go ahead. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of what I was what I was saying Okay. Uh, let's see. Then where to start here? Yeah, verse six. Let's back up though. Let's go to verse one. Second Thessalonians two one. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter, as it, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Now, I... I, made reference to this last week as a possible third fulfillment and, and ultimate fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy on the, the abomination of desolation. Uh, that's a possibility. The first one being uh, before Christ, when uh, Antiochus uh, uh, Epiphanes sacked Jerusalem and, and offered um, swine on the temple altar, then in 70 A.D., when uh, the Roman army led by Titus again sacked Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, that was definitely the fulfillment there of Jesus' prophecy in Matthew 24. Uh, and anyway, and then and Jesus calls that the abomination of desolation. But this may also be uh, a fulfillment of it. Uh, and you know, in fact, if it is, I would say the ultimate fulfillment that the others were kind of pointing to. Verse 5, Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things? And now you know what is restraining that he may be revealed in his own time. That is the man of sin, the lawless one. He's Paul's saying there's something restraining, keeping him from being revealed. Verse 7, For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. 
The coming of the lawless one is according to the, to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteousness, deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Okay. Um, so what Paul says, he, he talks about this man of sin who's going to be revealed, the lawless one, verse 3, the man of lawlessness, who's going to be revealed. He hasn't been revealed yet. And what, what Paul is, the point Paul is making here is there, there are some people who think that Christ has already come. And Paul is correcting them. No, that hasn't happened yet. Verse 3, the day of the Lord will not come unless the falling away comes first, which that seems to be talking about apostasy. Um, the word falling away there, some people do say that it's, it's possible to be understood as catching away, and they want to say that's a reference to the, uh, to the rapture. But um, it seems to me more fitting to, to uh, take it for, it means falling away. And, and you think about Jesus' words, you know, the, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. Um, so, at any rate, I think he's talking about apostasy. You know, a, a lot of people falling away, and, and we've certainly seen that in parts of the world, seeing it here now, I think. Um, but he says, that day, that is the, the final day, the coming of the Lord, will not come unless the falling away comes first. So that has to happen first. And the man of sin is revealed. That has to happen first. The son of perdition. We, we commonly refer to as the Antichrist, right? Capital A. There are many Antichrists already in the world, but usually we, we talk about this guy, we, we, the Antichrist, capital A. Verse 4. Who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God. Okay, so he goes on down in verse 6 and says... Now you know what is restraining. In other words, what is keeping that from happening right now? Paul is saying. What is, what is, what is preventing the falling away and the, the revealing of the lawless one, the Antichrist? Well, my answer would be God. And, and, and so people want to, you know, commonly said that the restrainer here in verse 6 and then up here in, uh, whom the Lord will send to the mass, according to power with all unrighteousness. Okay, I lost it. I just read it and I lost it. Whom the Lord will consume. Oh, okay, verse 7. Next verse. Jumping over it too far. Verse 6 and 7, where it talks about the one who restrains. You know, commonly people interpret that as being the Holy Spirit. I have no problem with that. It's certainly the power of God that restrains evil in the world and restrains evil people from being more evil than they already are. So, yeah, I think that's probably talking about the Holy Spirit, power of God. So he says in verse 6, you know what is restraining that he may be revealed. In other words, what is keeping him from being revealed now? And it is it, 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 the Holy Spirit. So that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness, verse 7, is already at work. Only he who now restrains... God, I would say, he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, David said, if I descend into the depths of Sheol, you are there. What I'm saying is, I don't think there's ever a time where God is removed from anywhere. Like our little thing I was talking about the other day, God's omnipresence. He's everywhere all the time. So I, I don't think God is taken out of the world. The Holy Spirit is taken out of the world. I think what Paul is simply saying is there's going to come a time when He's going to loosen the reins. He's, he's restraining, He's keeping these things from happening now because it's not time yet. And God's things are going to happen on God's schedule. And so there's coming a time when he who restrains will be taken out of the way. That is, 
he lets the restraint, he removes the restraint so that this person can fulfill the, uh, the, the, their evil desires. And the lawless one, verse 8, the result is going to be the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's the second coming. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a, it's a, uh, I don't think it's a, uh, there's any reference there to a secret rapture. It, it may be describing events in a seven-year period at the end of the church age when tribulation is intensified. That may well be. But uh, um, it's going to happen in God's timing. It hasn't ha- second coming hasn't happened yet, Paul says, because these things haven't happened. Got to be a great falling away and the revealing of the man of sin. The little horn. Revelation. Anything else? <laughs> huh. I'm sorry? All right, you sure? You can ask it if you want. Okay. All right. Well, we'll we'll dismiss. All right. If you would, let's stand. And and just to uh, reiterate a little bit, um, though a lot of those things to me, in my mind, uh, I, you know, it's it, they're great studies. I encourage. I encourage you to study them out, and I, I want to do more so myself. Um, and I think it's rewarding. I think the Lord intends for us to, but I, but I do think many of those things we can be flexible on, and that they're open for discussion. So you know, um, we don't have to divide over them. Is what I'm saying. The the the, the main thing, and both of those passages we just looked at, Matthew 24 and 25, and then over in Thessalonians is that Jesus is coming. He's coming back. He's coming back for His people. There's coming a judgment day. God has appointed a day in which He will judge the world through this man, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heath, you mind leading us in a word of prayer? This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.